0: This is the No Poison Podcast with featured guest, mental health therapist, Jackie Bassells. You know, we talk a
1: lot on this podcast about eliminating poison, but poison isn't always about what's just ingested through your mouth. It's also what's ingested into your mind.
0: We got the thoughtful therapist here to help us tame these crazy minds.
1: The interview starts, three, two, one, Jackie, thanks for coming on the show. I know it's taking forever to get you on here. That's uh, partially Hunter's fault. Oh,
2: it's all fault. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me.
1: Uh, so let's just get right into it. So, you know, we're living in a time of high stress, high anxiety. You know, what are some things that our listeners can do to kind of combat all those things that they're feeling
2: absolutely so i'm going to give you the generic therapist answer which is it really depends and what i mean by that is something that is useful for me to reduce stress might not necessarily be useful for you or for everyone else there are kind of research-based ways in which we can reduce stress and that includes grounding and mindfulness techniques and i'll get a bit into why that's helpful as we move forward So
0: wait, what is grounding?
2: Okay, all right, you got me there. (laughs) So grounding and mindfulness are really about bringing ourselves back to the present moment. When we are anxious or when we are experiencing stress, worry, we're oftentimes not being in the present moment. Um, So as you imagine, anxiety and worry are rooted in the future. Sometimes um, if we've experienced trauma, they're even rooted in the past. So we're oftentimes responding to a sense of threat, or danger that isn't necessarily present in the room with us. So what grounding and mindfulness help us do is be where our feet are. So the process of that is usually tuning into what is within your environment. Oftentimes our five senses is really helpful in doing this and it can really allow us to bring us back to that current moment and process and manage stress in a healthy way, in a better way than maybe some of the maladaptive ways we might be used to, such as substance use, binge eating, you know, shopping, gambling, things of that nature
0: an unhealthy outlet is not a good idea
2: exactly yeah (laughs) might come as news to some of us but yeah no (laughs) so so when I
0: think of when I'm trying to just when I heard that answer I was just trying to think of how does grounding relate to my life for my career I'm an actuary I'd have to take a bunch of these exams Mm -hmm. I have to prepare for them obviously I, I get very stressed I get very anxious about them sometimes I start sweating they're hard tests and I want to pass them yeah that brings a lot of pressure and with pressure brings stress
2: absolutely and what
0: I found is to relieve that stress and that pressure you just have to prepare Every time I after I finish a good study session or I realize that I, I know more of the material than I thought, mm-hmm. I feel less stressed. Thinking about that experience with positive thoughts yeah. rather than feeling like that overwhelming stress and anxiety of what if I don't right. What if I don't pass? Yeah. Preparing usually like just
2: Absolutely. Kind of gets
0: away the stress.
2: Yeah. It can cr- create that positive association versus like a negative association um, to whatever it is we're doing. So that can be helpful.
0: So I was doing grounding without even knowing. Yeah, grounding. absolutely.
2: <laughs> <laughs> anything that brings us back to that present moment. Um, and we can do anything mindfully. Um, we can do this podcast mindfully by activating our senses. We can wash our hands, take a shower by really just being present and non judgmental within that current moment. So I'll talk a little bit more about specific techniques as we get further into it as well. So just you, to give some concrete <laughs> things. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you touched on, you, you said anxiety and you also said stress. Are those, those terms aren't really interchangeable, right? They're, they're different.
2: So within the body physiologically, the two are actually very similar. So I'm going to give a bit of like a neuroscience background on this. If you're not following, because I am a bit of a nerd, please pause me at any time. Good, love
0: it. <laughs>
2: but when we are experiencing anxiety, stress, rage or anger, or anything that's potentially overwhelming, our amygdala, which is our brain's smoke detector, sends a signal to our body that we're experiencing a threat. We're in danger. Flight or flight. Exactly. So our survival states are activated. There's cortisol like rushing through our veins, adrenaline. And this is why we might experience some of those physiological symptoms. So our heart's beating fast, our blood's boiling, we might have some muscle tension, shallow breathing, all those different things are both present in stress and anxiety. So although those two emotions are very similar physiologically, they may come about for different reasons. So stress is usually in response to like an external trigger. Um, so, you know, maybe we have a project at work that we're stressed out about, or maybe we're going through a global pandemic. So, either of those two things, of course, would be um, external stimuli that increase our stress level. Whereas anxiety is more about persistent and consistent worry. Um, and this could be really in response to no stimuli. So, you don't necessarily need a trigger to feel anxious. Our body doesn't really know the difference, but our minds do, if that makes sense.
0: So, the stress, it kind of seems like it's learn the triggers and you can kind of associate with something the anxiety fighting the anxiety sounds like it's something like a lot harder to do because those those triggers like you were saying they're like they're not really present
2: right they're not as concrete so with stress we can use a variety of coping skills that are also really helpful for anxiety and some of these look like daily meditation or journaling or connecting with our support system Time management is really helpful for both anxiety and stress, right? Creating a routine for ourselves can help eliminate both of those two things. Um, But again, with anxiety, there comes in a cognitive piece. So a lot of times we exist and look from our thoughts. And what I mean by that is trying to give an example here. Say our thought is I'm not good enough. If we're looking from that thought, it's going to create a lens of how we interact within the world. It's going to impact our beliefs about ourselves, about the people around us. And I'm not good enough can feel as real as the sky is blue. So what we want to do there when we experience anxiety, when we experience negative automatic thoughts, whatever it might be, is we want to look at our thoughts instead of looking from our thoughts. And so that can look like cognitive challenging. Um, So kind of identifying for and against you know where is the evidence that that this thought is true and we can do that you know in a journaling form or we can just do this in our minds
0: sometimes i feel writing it down actually seeing the words like it's present right i'm like okay wait it's not so bad
2: right like oh i was being irrational we're activating what's called our prefrontal cortex and allowing ourselves to actually think about um a thought like right.
0: a, like a girl who looks on instagram like oh i'm not pretty because they see all this maybe they write it down they say wait what's not actually pretty about right me? they try to come up with reasons yeah. like, wait, that's not actually true and they exactly. should talk to your support group and right it's right not actually as true as you thought or thought Absolutely. in the moment
2: yeah so i always say um putting your thought on trial right like kind of having a defense and you know whatever it might be and and looking at how accurate is this thought can i come to something that's a little bit more realistic I like that
0: putting it on trial. yeah right. yeah
2: it's something we use in cognitive behavioral therapy so
1: so anxieties can be looked at i mean it's has a strong association with fear mm-hmm. right yeah so a lot of and i'm asking could it be a lot of anxieties is these negative thoughts that kind of just pop into somebody's head and then trying to avoid these thoughts and mm. not tackling them head-on, yeah, kind of creates this this cycle. Yeah, the cycle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So
2: you actually just led me into a really good thing that I often talk about with clients. The cycle of anxiety um, is really fueled by avoidance, just like you said. So we'll experience an anxiety-provoking situation, whatever that is for us, and we will feel impelled to avoid it. And in the short term. We get relief right so some of our physical sensations like our heart beating fast um our sweating whatever it might be for us subsides we feel good and we have that bit of relief but what we find over time is that we're actually decreasing our confidence in our ability to cope and manage with anxiety so in the long term we see that anxiety spike and it creates this this cycle that's really crippling, and it can actually be more detrimental when we are avoiding things like public speaking or coming on a podcast or whatever it might be.
1: <laughs> oh, so, so public speaking? Yeah, I'm terrified of public speaking. Yeah. So, like, is that an anxiety? Is that an anxiety? Is that like I'm just afraid to talk publicly? You're a podcast host. Now <laughs> I yeah, am. Yeah. What? <laughs> now I am.
2: <laughs> no. Yeah. So I think I'm that's... battling my anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Good. Look you at you. Take that head on. <laughs> yeah. Tackling the avoidance. Um. I think it's. And anxiety that you that you have that many people have very normal for people to get anxious over specific things that every like going on a plane is something that provokes a lot of anxiety for people public mm-hmm. speaking, like we said, but when it becomes dysfunctional, and it kind of impacts our ability to exist, is when we might want to look into either seeking therapy or finding ways in which we can challenge those thoughts you know like we just spoke about or implement that grounding and that mindfulness to calm essentially our nervous system.
0: And I often find like after you give up like you've given a public speech before and mm-hmm. after it you mm-hmm. kind of have this high like after you've conquered that adrenaline, it. Oh, that adrenaline. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you if you passed your exam that you were stressed about you, right. you nail a job interview mm-hmm. you, you right. interview something. that's a good one yeah it's right. you always feel this high after right you conquered it and now you're instead of that negative association now mm-hmm. you're training your body to have yeah. positive
2: association right with
1: so how many times though do you have to do that in order to really conquer that anxiety because yeah. if i had to go out and talk to a bunch of people right now i would be shaking and sweating (laughs) and freaking out, you know? So how many times do I have to do that to kind of get over that? I mean, I'm probably going to say it depends. depends. Yeah, another therapist
2: answer. But no, there is actually, um, as we had the cycle of anxiety, there's a way in which we can reverse the cycle of anxiety. And that's actually um, something we called in the mental health field graded exposure or gradual exposure. So say my fear is going and shopping at supermarkets. So that provokes a lot of anxiety for me. I would want to gradually expose myself to that type of situation in a way that does not feel necessarily overwhelming for me or for my nervous system. So what I could start doing is going down first and foremost to like the quick check or the 7-Eleven, somewhere small, and maybe doing that while I'm on the phone um, with my boyfriend. So that would be a way to kind of introduce me to food shopping or whatever it might be um, in a way that feels manageable then you'd want to kind of graduate on to okay maybe i'm going to go from that 7-eleven or that quick check to i don't know like target it's a little bit bigger and then you're going to want to work your way up to wherever that actual fear is stemming from and kind of do what you need so the first time you go into that place you would want to just like buy one item and then leave right so find something okay you know where the produce is you're going to want to gradually expose yourself get something leave then you might want to challenge yourself a bit more do the whole shopping list and so forth so it's about not necessarily jumping into the deep end which works for some people but if you're someone who struggles with a lot of anxiety preparing yourself in that way kind of like hunter was saying can be really helpful in, in doing that and, and having a
0: plan that. too because i I feel like I, that kind of relates to like when people start going to the gym for the first uh-huh. time. You go to the gym and you see a bunch of like meatheads lifting and you're like, oh, my God, I don't, I don't belong here. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah. But if you go with a plan, if you go with a planned food shop and you say, I'm just going to the fifth right. aisle, getting that one thing, leaving. You're like, right. you get back in your car you're like, wait, that wasn't so bad.
2: Exactly. And you build up that confidence that we were talking about in decreasing the confidence for the cycle of anxiety. Graded exposure will help us build up. Um, our confidence and, and ability to manage that.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: So as a therapist, medications are obviously a big topic nowadays, right? And you know, as an acupuncturist, I'm not anti-medication, but I, I'm I'm definitely anti the overuse of medications. Mm-hmm. So when is it appropriate, do you think, when a patient should really start to consider t- having medication or taking medication and, yeah. and not?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So I oftentimes um, use this metaphor when I'm kind of like, talking to a client about when we feel it might be appropriate to introduce medication. And I like to say, imagine you are at the bottom of a well, right? I'm the therapist and I'm kind of putting down a ladder and you're unable to reach that ladder to come up and use the coping skills and process through the emotions that we're talking about. If that's the case, if you feel like you're unable to grasp or grab onto what we talk about in our sessions, that's when I usually suggest maybe you should seek out a psychiatrist and see you know if there is something that can be of assistance to you so that you can use the tools because that that can be a big factor. Got
0: it. Mm-hmm. So if you're at that point where you're trying to talk to people, you're, you're you have a great support system, but you're just not really getting it. You've tried the the therapy and it's not working. You suggest seeking a therapist like you to maybe introduce the idea of medication to think about it and then. Mm-hmm further the treatment of having the support system absolutely
2: absolutely you know a psychiatrist is on your team just like the therapist is and they're willing to work with you um, to kind of figure out what's in your best interest and if they feel in their you know professional opinion that maybe you're not a candidate for uh, medication then that's something that they will hopefully um, discuss with you as well
0: so you're a mental health therapist yes. right yep so explain to people what that kind of is
2: yeah, so it's pretty broad, um, but I am i am a licensed social worker, so that would be referred to as an LSW, graduated from Rutgers University with my master's degree. And I'm Congrats. going to, thank you, I'm going to move forth um, and do um, my clinical license, which is, you know, the last and highest form of licensure. Essentially, what that means is I can open up my own private practice and see clients, you know, on an independent basis. That's the goal. That's the long term goal. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. What are we
0: thinking? A couple (laughs) of years?
2: Actually, I, I will have that second license within the next like four Three, four months um that's so exciting. Mm-hmm. Nice. yeah yep so i'm hoping to do that within the next year potentially
0: we'll have to have you on again as yeah. a business owner
2: yeah absolutely yeah. yep that's a big uh big part of it so
1: you could rent space right behind that wall right there okay you there we go <laughs> <laughs> what is it rent, ex-
2: rent expensive yeah, that's yeah. It. yeah very very we'll awesome. work something out i'll take you up on that offer so
0: <laughs> so i want to get into a little bit of relationships now i think that's a big form of stress for a lot of people yeah whether we're talking about not only intimate relationships but relationships with your coworkers, with your family absolutely there's a lot of stress that stems from these relationships Mm -hmm. I hear a lot these boundaries and I honestly have no idea what that means when saying you need to have boundaries what's the what are boundaries and what's the importance (laughs) of them
2: absolutely I know that's such a buzzword I feel like in today's society Um, but boundaries are the emotional and physical space between us and another person so they're the limitations that we can say might not necessarily say um, but the limitations we put on within relationships that help keep ourselves safe many different types of boundaries we have you know emotional mental boundaries physical boundaries obviously uh, material and time boundaries
0: so how do you like so now I understand what it actually is like not really how to actually use it though mm-hmm. like how do I actually apply these boundaries
2: yeah so that really stems from what type of relationship you might be kind of seeking to set a boundary in but a really effective way to do that is to use what's called an I message. And that's kind of taking accountability for our own emotions, our own, you know, ways of interacting within that relationship and letting someone know what we need from them. So maybe that'll be space. Maybe that would be, you know, time away. Maybe that would be um, for them to stop borrowing our clothes or whatever it is, if it's a material boundary. Um, When we're talking like emotional and mental boundaries, and I want to kind of pinpoint this because I feel like it's something we don't talk about often, we can feel like we're on someone else's emotional roller coaster. So there's no mark between where I end and someone else begins. That's what it would feel like. And so creating space there and kind of saying, you know, this is essentially how I want to exist in this relationship. These are my limits. This is what is okay with me and is not okay with me because a lot of people don't set boundaries and then we get mad when people are violating us and it's kind of like it causes this conflict because we're not actually saying what we need from that person that's
0: the importance of communication yeah but i think that brings up that just reminded me of When you're in when you have a friend or a family member or a girlfriend, boyfriend, you don't want to deal with their like it's it's okay to help, obviously. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to like take on their problems and deal with that because then now you have like negative association with that person. Right. Right. So that's 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 what boundaries are. Yeah. Sort of communicating that.
2: Right. If we feel like we are are, um, riding someone else's emotional roller coaster, we may need to say to them listen, I understand that you're going through something really emotional for you right now, but I don't have the capacity or the emotional space right now to be there for you in that way. And that's something that we don't normalize enough. Um, and a lot of times we'll see people increasing their stress levels in relationships because we're taking on a lot of what another person is going through.
1: So I want to kind of dive into this a little deeper because this is a new concept for me because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, if, you know, if my wife is going through something, well, then I, I'm going through it too. I just feel like naturally, right? So like, what do you, how do you not do that?
2: Yes, because I don't think it's always necessarily a bad thing. It's when you feel that you're being lost in that relationship. So you and your wife might have a really healthy relationship where you can be there for each other and maybe there aren't blurred boundaries and she, you know, is respectful of that. And it might just be a mutual thing that you don't have to necessarily worry about in that relationship. Mm -hmm. You will know, you will get a felt sense when you feel like you're not being prioritized when your boundaries are being blurred, you will not feel good about that relationship. It's often toxic. We often feel like we're losing a sense of self, um, like that, that we can't be our own person within the relationship or the dynamic. And if you don't feel that way, then you're probably fine. It's okay, okay. to be there for people. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm all not right. saying
0: that. No, I was trying to understand that wanna, <laughs> emotional. I don't want to come off as someone who doesn't help people. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, no no, <laughs> no, no, no. I was just trying to no, understand it, yeah. that clearly. That was a great question. It, okay. it was because Thank you, now I feel better about yeah. it. <laughs> Absolutely, and you just
0: made me sound like I'm just like a dickhead that doesn't <laughs> yeah. help anybody. It's like Hunter's I don't have like, space to you help you right not now. Not at all. Not at all. But <laughs> if you do shit, But if
2: you're feeling the urge to say that, then there's probably something wrong with the dynamic. So. Yeah. Okay, Gotta fair, listen to, fair. you know, that sensation. <laughs>
1: right. And honestly, I feel like people only have X amount of space of kind of crap that they kinda yeah, can take from right. their partner too. So like, I feel like that's when you also should say, Hey, listen, maybe go talk to a therapist. Right. Talk to them. I can't so hold you this thing right home now. Yeah. and talk to me about, you know, fucking cleaning up your laundry right. in the corner. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. back to normal stuff. Right.
2: Absolutely. And a lot of times people will come to me or my clients, you know, when we're talking about boundaries and they'll say, I don't want to set a boundary because I'm worried about how it'll make someone else feel emotionally. And and to that, I always say, if you're worried about their emotions and they're probably also worried about their emotions, then who's worried about your emotions, right? Like who's going to prioritize yourself? If you don't so that's right. important that's a good point. Mm-hmm.
0: that really brings up a good point um of how important communication is in a relationship yeah I, everyone knows that right everyone knows oh communication is the key to like a healthy relationship right how do we actually practice better communication and, yeah. and the right communication not just saying anything but right. saying the right things
2: right so i have two like favorite, i guess communication skills that i utilize with clients and the first one is referred to as the gentle startup and i believe don't quote me on this but i believe um John Gottman, who is a relationship researcher and psychologist coined this term. I um, mean, he's done like loads of research and on relationships and whatnot. And a gentle startup is when we essentially hold someone up and um, basically say their positive quality, their positive trait, and then we insert a request. So for example, I'll give an example for this um <clears throat> my boyfriend likes to leave his shoes like in every single place imaginable <laughs> except the shoe rack and as you can imagine I trip like often so if I were to utilize this gentle startup I could say something like um I know that you're exhausted and that you work so hard and come home from work and you just want to relax however I keep tripping so do would you mind putting your shoes away
0: less demanding? Yeah. So something okay. like that would
2: elicit a lot less defensiveness. Um, and people are oftentimes more receptive to something like that. than if I were to say, you're literally driving me crazy, can you please put your shoes mm-hmm. away? Right. You're
0: not, you're not the per- first person to say this. Remember Drew <laughs> said the sandwich method, the sandwich you said, effect. Yeah. You say a good okay. Thing? Yeah. It's similar yeah, to that. Right. Yep. And yeah. then you, you
2: know, kind of, you say, yeah.
0: hey, you look really good, but can you fix your
2: hair a little uh-huh. bit? Uh-huh. Well, but your legs look good. Yep. <laughs> I like that one too. <laughs> so that's the first one I, yeah. I often suggest. It, it's very helpful.
1: <laughs> so when we're communicating, or actually let me say this, when we're not communicating with our partners, and I feel like a lot of times social media and our phones mm-hmm. and Instagram kind of get in the way of that a lot of times you see people even at dinner or they're on a date or yeah. whatever, and they're literally scrolling through their phone and it's just them two. Right. What are some things that we can do to kind of like eliminate that, And this way you can be mindful and in the moment with your partner.
2: Yeah. So that's a really great question. Um, And I think something that I I do see that often um, and that I utilize with this is when I'm doing couples counseling is the five love languages. And I'm pretty sure, I'm hoping that I'm remembering them all correctly, but there's acts of service, gift giving, quality time, which is the important one that we're about to talk about, attention. And then... I forget the fifth one. I don't know access. I already said accessors. I don't know. But with quality time, if that's our partner's love language or if that's our love language, we're going to really value when we're sitting with our partner if they're scrolling on their phone or if they're paying attention to us. So I think it's really about because some people are OK with that. Like I my love language is probably quality time, but I'm the type of person who will lay in bed with my boyfriend and we'll both just be on our phones and I'm content with that. So I think it's about identifying what our partner needs. Um, And being respectful of that within the relationship because everyone's going to have a different way that they feel seen and heard within the relationship. So it's communication again, honestly.
0: And it's like when, right? Like if you're laying in bed and that's your thing at night, Mm -hmm. I do it too. Everyone, I feel like everyone does it. They scroll their phone at night when you're laying down. Right. But if you're out to dinner, like that's quality. You're setting aside time for quality time. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's the important part when Absolutely. you're doing these things.
2: Absolutely. And I think that really does, again, come down to maybe the gentle startup or this leads me into my second form of communication, which is going back to kind of those I messages. And it's, it's a formula. So you can say something like, I feel, insert emotion, um, when you, insert behavior, because, insert reasoning, you I know, in the it. future, <laughs> I would prefer, insert request. So this would look like something... Along the lines of like, say my boyfriend's coming home late and he doesn't call me and it's causing a lot of stress and anxiety for me. I would say something like, I feel abandoned and worried when you don't call when you're coming home late because it makes me feel unimportant. And in the future, I would appreciate if you call me before you came home. So something along those lines can help us, again, effectively communicate our need within that relationship without a listening defensiveness or making our partner feel like they're being attacked.
1: So I feel like those words are very powerful. And yet you didn't even yell because, <laughs> right, I feel like typically a girlfriend <laughs> or wife's going to be yelling yeah. those words. Get yeah. your ass so, home. <laughs> yeah, right? Something like that. But I feel like just saying that the way you did calmly, I feel like is like easier to accept as the other person kind of mm-hmm. hearing it as opposed to being like you just said, get, get your, your ass, ass home. home right. you know? Which like, is
2: our instinct sometimes. And it,
0: and it sounds like from the receiving end, it sounds like you took time to think about what you were going to say. And right. that's how important it is to you. Absolutely. It's way different than like you said, if you just call and say, get your ass home. Yeah. Like, yeah. you right. don't even think about it you're just like demanding now i don't exactly. want to yeah right. now i'm mad. right yeah now yeah. i'm gonna rebel but when you yeah. use those big words and you say it nice and <laughs> slow and calmly i'm like okay i, I want to do it yeah. yeah well i
1: have to think about it i was like wait what does that word mean <laughs> Okay. Yeah. oh that's how you feel okay <laughs> okay wow yeah,
2: there, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow, exactly that makes you lot. think too made me think yeah <laughs> yeah i like that
0: mm-hmm. awesome. so oftentimes in relationships in intimate relationships we we talked about a lot but even other relationships, friendships, family members, there's always conflict. I mean, yeah. there's something, there's disagreements. How do we deal with these disagreements and how do we respond healthily rather than just like yelling like we've been talking about?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So that kind of goes back to our nervous system, which I'm going to break down a little bit here. When we are, again, experiencing that fight or flight response and our body and our amygdala is saying, okay, we're, we're in danger, we're in threat, cortisol's released, all of that stuff I talked about earlier – our non-essential systems within the brain and the body are inhibited or go offline. Um, And this is actually a really adaptive response because it goes back to like primitive time. So say we're walking in the street and a bus is coming. We immediately either freeze up so we don't get hit or we, we run away by instinct so that we don't die, right? So it's a survival instinct. During those times, our prefrontal cortex, which is known for executive function, reasoning, judgment, thinking, those things, is inhibited because if we were to stand there by the bus and think about, you know, oh, what do I do right now? We would die. So essentially, it's a really positive adaptation but it kind of hurts us when we're in social situations, such as being in an argument with our boss or with a peer, because we're unable to think rationally and have a logical conversation in those moments. And that's where the mindfulness and the grounding comes in.
0: So it's actually like a biological thing. Oh, yeah. Why I can't think straight. When oh, I'm
2: yeah, yeah. It's not. I, I, I always try to tell my clients, this is not a conscious choice that you can't have a... Um, you know a, a good conversation or a rational conversation when you're fuming from the mouth like this this is not right. your fault
0: essentially so what what are we supposed to do in that moment yeah. besides just yell cuz you can't think straight
2: right so i'm a big fan of the adult the adult timeout um i think that you know i've heard this quote like forever i don't know if either of you have heard this but like don't go to bed angry and i say if it means that you're not escalating a, a an argument or a conversation Hell yeah, go to bed angry. Like, Take that time to yourself (laughs) because if you don't give yourself the space to activate what's actually called our parasympathetic nervous system, that's known for the calm and relaxation response, you are not going to resolve the conflict, at least not right in that moment.
0: So, I mean, it seems like to calm down, those big, deep breaths, those calmings, taking some time by yourself. Absolutely. There's no point of having the argument when you're like fuming out of the head and you're just going to say hurtful shit that you want to take back the next day. Exactly.
2: And then you're going to regret it. So one of my favorite grounding techniques that you can use when you're feeling angry, when you're feeling stressed, when you're feeling anxiety, again, because physiologically, these are all very similar within the body, Is referred to as the 54321 technique. And, you know, any of the listeners, if you just Google this, it'll come right up and show you how to do it if you don't, you know, remember what I'm saying right now. But what the process looks like is when you're having that emotion, you're going to pause. So, first, it's really about identifying what's going on for you. Um, And then you're going to identify and label out loud five things that you can see. So, you're gonna wanna, you know, say, scan your environment. Again, you're orienting to that present moment, four things that you can feel. So I often do suggest like feeling your feet on the ground as one of the four, three things that you can hear that are going on around you in the room that you're in, two things um, that you can smell, and then one thing that you can taste. And for those last two, a lot of times we don't carry a cheeseburger around with us. So I do say if like you're, you're prone to stress, you're prone to anxiety, keeping like a sour airhead, you can buy those in bulk at like five below. And that's really helpful in kind of bringing you back as you can imagine, or like a, a red hot. Um, is what I suggest, or a mint, honestly. Um, And then for smell, something like, you know, a scented lotion or an instinct or like a candle.
0: Do you say this out loud or you just think about it in your head?
2: So I personally say it out loud. I find that activates the prefrontal cortex. But like how would I
0: think? Like so I'm like in the middle of a screen right. and you're like table, chair, floor. Right,
2: right, right. So you're gonna wanna probably remove yourself from that type <laughs> yeah. of So I was yeah. talking more anxiety stress, like okay, that might okay, be helpful. Okay. But if you're in an argument with someone, you're first and foremost going to wanna remove yourself. So
0: this is like the calming situation. down more yes. like the stressed out
2: yeah yeah but it can be used when we're experiencing rage we're just not going to want to you know start like saying Yelling. sour airhead yeah. you know in the middle yeah. of an argument yeah. so yeah <laughs> they might think we're a little <laughs> yeah go to the car yeah yourself yeah <laughs> i think, I think you're going great. yeah another really helpful tip that i just don't want to forget to say is um if you're able to if you live in a neighborhood where you can do this the two-sided walk because that, again, is you know, grounding in, in walking itself, reactivating that prefrontal cortex. But on the way there, you're going to be self-righteous. You're going to be so pissed off at your partner. You're going to think about every single thing that they did wrong in that argument. And you're going to pick a point in which when I get to that landmark, I don't know, whatever it is, I'm going to turn around. And when I turn around, I'm going to start thinking about what I could have done differently, what my partner might be feeling um and what we find and you can walk for 20 minutes straight the other way and be all pissed off and do what you need to do and get that out but once you turn around you're starting to think about well what's the other side of the argument and we often find that we're much better able to Kind of come back, have a calm conversation, see the other perspective, and reach some conflict resolution with that. <laughs> I just went walk for three hours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. In one <laughs> direction. <fucking jogging. laughs> yeah. Come back dripping sweat. Yeah. like, you're all right. I actually went for a run. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's helpful too, though, with stress,
0: exercise. So we've been talking a lot about stress, personal stress, mm-hmm. stressors. We've been talking about stress, how relationships can cause stress. Yeah. What are some like? Do you have any like some good techniques or anything that can sort of decrease this?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So one way that I often suggest we can avoid stress is being very mindful of our basic needs. Um, So there's an acronym that I utilize on a daily basis that my clients often utilize on a daily basis, and it's called the HALT acronym. So that's H-A-L-T, and that stands for hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. So Hunger is going to refer to not only physical hunger, um, which of course we get hangry. I get
0: very hangry. Yeah,
2: (laughs) absolutely. But emotional hunger as well. So, you know, in those moments, we might want to ask ourselves, are we, you know, in search of, in need of an emotional connection with, with someone that we care about? Angry or anger refers to obviously feeling frustrated, feeling some level of being pissed off essentially. But there are three underlying causes of anger. And that's fear, frustration, and pain. So we want to connect with that underlying emotion and try to see if we can get that addressed within our relationship, within ourself. So frustration would be frustration about like a loss of control or powerlessness in given situations. Fear would be like social fear. So a fear of embarrassment, a fear of vulnerability. And then pain, of course, is, you know, feeling violated by another hungry and like, okay lonely so lonely is kind of like emotional hunger so still like kind of checking in with ourselves do we need to reach out for connection and then tired can be physical so do we need a nap do we need to get in a better you know sleep schedule or um, are we emotionally exhausted? And do we kind of need to, again, set a boundary for ourselves in one of our relationships?
0: So that was halt. So those are all things that can you can be in that state and that can cause
2: stress? Yeah, absolutely. If we're not eating well, if we're not getting enough sleep, if we're not um, in healthy relationships that are, you know, boundary, you know, cohesive and, and whatnot. So definitely those can all impact our stress levels, our anxiety.
1: The L part of that, the loneliness. Yeah. And you're saying that you should check in with yourself and see if you need that connection with other people. Yeah. I feel like the other three are kinda a little easier to identify as right. opposed to understanding that you need to connect with others. Okay, yeah. If you're not in tune with that, well like how can somebody identify that if they're if they don't know it?
2: Right. Yeah. So I think something that's really important there is exploring whether or not you've been isolating more than usual. So there's a difference between like isolation and solitude. Solitude is more like I want to spend time with myself. I want to enjoy it. It's more positive where isolation is. I want want to shut everyone out and deal with these emotions on my own. So if we're finding that we're kind of pulling back or withdrawing, we're not seeing our friends as often, our spouse, whoever it might be, That might be an indicator that we need to reach out for some connection. I
0: feel like that's a good outlet. So what are some like healthy outlets you can do to sort of relieve stress?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I am a big person with like exercise. I find that that's really helpful for me personally. For someone else, it might look like taking a nap. Like, right. So my goal might be I'm going to exercise five days a week and that helps me relieve stress. Whereas someone else is, no, I'm, you know, with with the tired, I'm feeling exhausted and I need to take a nap, you know, a 20 minute nap each day to kind of manage. My stress. We again kind of, I know I mentioned this a bit earlier, but like daily meditation. Another good skill that I won't get too deep into, but again, you can Google this is progressive muscle relaxation. And it's the tensing and releasing of our muscle groups, like from our feet all the way to our head, um, neck. And it's really helpful in, again, kind of, like, decreasing our stress levels.
0: That sort of goes with acupuncture. just yeah. like releasing your muscles Yeah. And yeah. getting your endorphins going. Mm-hmm. Right. Releasing some endorphins. Yeah, yeah that so cortisol. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. One
0: thing that I think, I don't know if this is, like, a thing that other people do, but when I'm stressed, sometimes like, I, I love being, like, productive.
2: Okay, like, yeah. Like, I just
0: start, like, cleaning my house because I want to feel like at least I'm not, like, wasting this time. Yeah. Is that a thing, being productive when oh, you're stressed? Oh, definitely,
2: yeah, because we have, if we think about it, we're we're kind of surged with cortisol and adrenaline. So that's kind of like a stimulant effect, right? I mean, that's what we are essentially experiencing within the nervous system. So it makes sense to me that in order for you to release that energy, you're doing a bunch of tasks, you're being productive. I clean
0: my whole apartment. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) See,
2: some people do the opposite and isolate and kind of, you know, um, you know do whatever it is maybe maladaptive where you're being more productive i try
0: to find like a healthy outlet. yeah that's awesome one of the things with being productive i, I saw on one of your videos is the habit stacking okay, can you yeah. can you explain what habit yeah. Stacking is? yeah i
2: love this one so habit stacking is the process of pairing um a mundane or you know everyday activity that we don't necessarily want to do such as like taking out the trash or if we're really depressed or unmotivated like brushing our teeth or taking a shower Um, With something that we actually enjoy indulging in, such as like scrolling through TikTok or um, watching our favorite Netflix show. And the, the key here is to not allow ourselves to engage in that indulgent behavior until and unless we do that everyday or mundane activity. So we're creating kind of, again, that positive association with, oh, when I do when I brush my teeth, I also watch Netflix. And so it creates like a dopamine rush, which is associated with pleasure. Um, And it can create essentially a new habit.
0: And it like incentivizes me to do it. Yeah. Like I can get like like a a reward.
2: Like we're five. I'm literally (laughs) like,
0: I'm going to eat a cookie after I study for an hour.
2: Exactly. That's really the, um, the theory behind it. well
1: that's what's happening right so you incentivize yourself you get a reward and the dopamine is released exactly and you feel better
2: exactly you're, you're like
0: tricking your body though so next time you're like associating you associate it together associ- yeah mm-hmm. right awesome.
1: yeah. yeah so you will brush your teeth while watching netflix or you have to finish brushing your teeth <laughs> no, you first? hey i guess
2: yeah. you could start while you're brushing i mean yeah. at least you're doing it
0: okay
1: <laughs> all right tv's going to my bed
2: yeah. bathroom i, I, I say usually to uh, wait until after but
0: <laughs> it seems like from talking to you, it seems like you, you can be so helpful to so many people. And I hope so many people listen to this and get something out of it. But there's like a bad, I feel like there's like a bad stigma with getting therapy. Why do you think that exists?
2: Yeah. So I think that's really come a long way. I think it's much more talked about now than, you know, it used to be than even when I was like in high school. But I think that a lot of people have a misconception uh, about what therapy is. Um, I think the word crazy is thrown around way too often in, in how we describe people and describe disorders. And I want to normalize that people struggle. Everyone struggles. Um, you know, a lot of my clients are coming to therapy basically to vent, right? Because it's always so helpful to just have um, an unbiased, objective view. And we can't really get that from our friends or our family members, um, so I do want to normalize, like you don't have to be quote unquote crazy, not that I like that term, to go to therapy. And if it's going to make you feel better about yourself, about the world that you live in, and allow you to exist more peacefully, then it's something that you should do for yourself. And that really comes with the prioritization of the self.
0: And I think that obviously with social media and all that, it brings more mental health awareness. And I think there's two things. I think. There definitely is more mental health awareness. It's mm-hmm. definitely talked about a lot more, and I also think that there definitely is a lot more stimulus. and and social media is one of those that can bring a power, bring people's like negative energy and their, oh, their self worth down. And for you, like becoming a therapist now, it's like joining the army in the middle of a war. With yeah, the mental health being like a, a, such a top priority, such a top talked about thing. Why did you even want to become a therapist?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So that's a really great question and a great analogy there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I will say that I wish I had some like long winded response about that, but I'm just going to leave it at this. Uh, Growing up, my friends were watching the Kardashians and the Housewives on TV and I was watching intervention and Dr. Phil. So if that tells you anything about my interests and who I am as a person, then yeah. Um, but also, you know, on another note, I was always the friend that people came to, you know, for advice. I was always the matchmaker that my guy friends came to when I was growing up. Um, I think it was just essentially my calling <laughs> to do what I do today.
0: you got to do what you love. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so before we go, is there any last advice for our listeners to take away? They, they've probably learned so much just from talking to you, but <laughs> Is there anything you would give them as sort of last advice?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So as we're talking about mental health stigma, I think it's really important to also bring up potential risk factors that might indicate someone is at risk for suicide. So because there's so much mental health stigma, a lot of people are afraid to seek out and ask for help. Um, And so this can create a lot of fatalities that otherwise wouldn't necessarily need to happen. I want to preface this by saying asking someone if they're having thoughts to harm themselves will not increase their um, chances of harming themselves. I think that's a huge misconception that we've probably heard. And that's not the truth. It's actually the opposite. So asking someone if they're going to harm themselves puts them at better risk for receiving help. And there is an acronym that we use in the mental health field, and it's, is PATH warm or PATH is warm? And, you know, it's all the same letters, so you can say it whatever way, but the I stands for ideation. So obviously, is that person having suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts? And that's obviously an indicator. Um, S stands for substance use. So is someone engaging in more substance use than normal, or are they um, engaging in substances recklessly? That's an indicator as well. Um T stands for purposelessness. So are they feeling like their life doesn't necessarily have a meaning? That can be an additional risk factor. A stands for anger. Are they more angry than usual? T stands for trapped. So are they feeling trapped in their current situation, whether it be, you know, environmental, financial, whatever it is? H stands for is there a sense of hopelessness? Because that can be one of the key indicators that someone might be at risk. W stands for withdrawal. So kind of like I talked about Earlier, you know, are they socially isolating, withdrawing from friends and family? Is something going on there? A, the other A is anxiety. So, again, increased anxiety. Recklessness is the R. So, are we engaging in high risk or reckless behaviors that are putting us at risk? Potentially could be an indicator. And then M, mood fluctuation. And this can be not only depressive states, but it can also be if someone was depressed and then they come to us and all of a sudden they're fine and they're normal. And a lot of times this can present itself when someone has decided that they're going to end their misery and end up, you know, um, harming themselves. So if someone was depressed and now they're fine, we might want to check in on that as well.
0: So is that something a mental therapist can do? But some of those are kind of hard to tell from just like a friend who's going through this?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So that's essentially what we use as mental health therapists or what I use, um, what I learned, you know, in my training. But some of those things we can pick up as friends or family. So if we notice some changes in any of those realms, it might be worth just asking, hey, are you having thoughts to harm yourself? Or are you depressed? If we don't feel comfortable necessarily asking that. At least we can open up a a conversation about it.
0: Yeah, I feel like oftentimes people are just want to talk about it.
2: Right, right. And they don't feel that they have that outlet. So if they are invited to have that conversation, they might be more impelled, you know, to get help. And we might be able to save a life, essentially.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome what you yeah. do. Yeah. Thank you, Jackie, for coming on.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me and allowing me to talk about something that is so important.
0: Yeah, you did a great job. Thanks,
1: everyone, for listening. Hope everyone can take a step back and de-stress and evaluate any toxic relationships and transform or eliminate them make sure to rate us 5 star and follow us on Instagram at no poison podcast and make sure you guys follow Jackie Jackie what's your Instagram handle
2: Therapy thoughts with JB
0: Check her out on TikTok too great videos
2: <laughs> Thank <laughs> Thanks, <you>. everybody. <laughs> Thanks
1: everybody Thanks everybody